Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. As always, housekeeping off the top, you can follow the Professional Book Nerds on social media. We are at Pro Book Nerds on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can also send us an email at any time. We are at the Professional Book Nerds at overdrive.com. We would love to hear from you. And the last ask, it really does help us out if you rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or anywhere that you get your podcasts. As always, we really appreciate your support and your listenership. I hope you'll enjoy this episode that I have for you with Robin Bradford. She is a collection development librarian and expert in the romance field. We have a general conversation about her book that is a reader's advisory guide for librarians on romance, but then also generally chat about romance, the genre, and you'll get some recommendations from her as well. All of that said, happy listening, happy reading. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nurse Podcast. Emma here, and today I am joined by a very special guest. We have librarian Robin Bradford. Robin, welcome. Thank you so much. It's fun to be here. I am so excited to have you here. And so to let our listeners know a little bit about how we got here, I was speaking to your Overdrive account manager, my friend Kate, who has been on the podcast before to talk about romance books. And she mentioned to me that you've recently written a book on reader's advisory for romance. And so this got our brains sort of going. We got some ideas and I thought it would be really fun to have you come on, talk about your book. And then talk about some library things, some romance things, and hopefully um, have a great time chatting. Sounds great. So to begin, can you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? So my name is Robin Bradford. Um, I did recently write the Reader's Advisory Guide to Romance, published by ALA Books. Um, I've been a librarian for 23 years. It's really helpful because I graduated in 2000, and so I can easily do that math. Um, I started working in libraries, though, in 1992. That was my first library job. So I've done several different things, several different libraries, and then we're here. And here we are. So that's so interesting. I'm curious because a lot of people find their way to libraries in different ways. If you wouldn't mind sharing your path to working in libraries. Sure. So um, 
my path to working in libraries was kind of serendipitous a little bit. Um, I had always gone to libraries. Of course, I was a library nerd as a kid, as most library staff tend to have been. Um, but it was work study, actually, at my university that got me an actual library job at first. And so it was second semester of freshman year. So like right off the bat, um, like library. Yes, I love libraries. Let me go work there. Of course, academic libraries are completely different than what I was expecting. Um, but I worked there all through college, graduated with an English degree. And it was like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> Well, no, I do not. So what do you want to do? I don't know. Went home um, and worked in the library, the public library for a year. Ah, public libraries. And my hometown public library. So I knew, you know, this, this is what I'm familiar with. Um, then I was like, okay, I need to do something with this English degree. What should I do? I'm going to go get another English degree because, of course, that's exactly what you should do. If you don't know what to do with one, two is better. So I went to grad school um, for English and a library job became open. And I was like, I know how to do library jobs. I This is, will be my third library. So I got a job there uh, working full time and going to school full time which was interesting. Um, and finally, somebody sat me down and said, this is your third library. You should go get a library science degree. And I'm like, what do you, what, what? What do you <laughs> what? mean? <laughs> um, so I went and got a library science degree and worked in libraries while I was getting that. And then I finally got my first professional public library job. And, or, I shouldn't say professional because it was professional in 95 as well, but like degreed library job in 2000. And then I've been doing library since then. Um, I worked a year as a reference only librarian. And then I worked four years as a central library reference plus collection development librarian. So at that time, all of the central librarians um, did collection development. So that was part of our job. And then we centralized collection development. And I said, oh, I have to choose. I'm choosing collection development. And so since 2005, I've done collection development as my full-time job. Mm -hmm. I love that sort of... It's straightforward yet not path. It seems it like many it of is. us have into yeah. this arena. I think a lot of people can relate to that conversation about what are you going to do with this English degree? <laughs> Go so, get another degree. <laughs> right. Like now that I look back on it, I'm like, that makes exactly zero sense. But yeah. at the time it was like, well, of course you need a master's degree in English. Mm -hmm. That'll make everything more clear. It, it's so funny. Um, I had that exact conversation with my undergraduate advisor. He said, well, what are you going to do with this bachelor's degree in English? And I was like, well, obviously I'm going to work in publishing or like I'm going to, you know, do something book adjacent. 
And he was like, well, why don't you consider getting your MLIS for graduate school? And I was like, why would I do that? And so instead I went and got my master's degree in English literature. (laughs) And you're like, but why? But why? And so then I, and then you finish and you have, you know, student loans or all these things. They're like, well, what are you going to do with this master's degree in English literature? And I was like, well, I have no idea. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And yet here we are. It's, it's come in handy. Uh, It has come in handy. handy. I'm not sad, but (laughs) um, it it made no sense. Like if I would have just gone to library school straight away, it would have made so much more sense. Mm-hmm. But now you can have all those letters at the end of your name. That's true. And I also, I also have a law degree because when I was working in libraries and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit bored and I've always wanted to go to law school. So I went to law school um, while I was working full time in the library. So, yeah, I, uh, I couldn't get the <laughs> habit. I, could, I have finally kick the habit. I am not going to enroll in any more degree seeking programs. No further (laughs) education in that way. But that's, do you ever think about how, like, how did I do that? Because that's a lot working full time and going to law school and and working to get Um, degrees. It's funny because people ask me that all the time. And at the time it just worked out. So I would work basically from seven to four um, and then go um, to school. School started at five. So, and it was very close. I could walk from the library to the law school. Um, so there there were just things that fell into place. I also had some coworkers that were super, super useful and helpful to me um, because during the school year, we were all required to work a night while I went to school. I went to school at night. I could not work my nights. So I would work all their nights in the summer when I was off and they would work my nights during the school year. Um, so you nobody gets through life by themselves. So I had a lot of help. So that, yeah, definitely serendipitous that things did just work out, but that obviously put in a lot of hard work so that those things could work out. It was great. I, I recommend it. <laughs> I am interested to know then how the project of writing this book for Reader's Advisor, the Reader's Advisory Guide to Romance, came about. Um, it was a complete surprise. ALA contacted me and said, hey, do you have any interest in updating this book? So the last book, um, I think, was published in 99 or 2000. So it, at that point, was... 18, 19 years old. And I was like, updating, okay, that'll be great. And then it when I looked through it, I was like, oh no, this needs a complete rewrite. Like it's so out of date. And mm-hmm. also it didn't fit the format. In the intervening time, they had to come up with the um series that they have with the different genres. And so it didn't fit that format, which is what they were also trying to do. So a rewrite turned into a new write. Yeah. So this book came out earlier this year, March of 2023. How long did that take then to sort of rewrite and redo this entire guide to romance? So it's funny. I fell into the trap that many um, authors 
fall into when they're like, oh, it'll be easy to write a romance that anybody could do that. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, I fell into that trap too. Oh, I should be able to knock this out in a year. It'll be fine. Um, Then we had a whole pandemic that kind of threw me off track. You would think it would make it easier because no one was outside, but it really did not make things easier at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took about three years. Um, the funny thing is I turned it in a month early than it was due. So it, I had a long date and I think they were like, because they understand that writing a first book takes more time than you think it does. Mm-hmm. So they gave me that long due date and I was like, oh, it'll be done way before then. And it, it was done a month before then. That's so cool though, that you were able to sort of completely revamp this format, this guide, especially I think with how much romance has changed or the way that people respond to romance now, I think has changed as well. Well, and that's it. Um, The romance genre has changed a lot over the past 23 years. Mm -hmm. So you can't talk about it the same way. The readers have gotten more engaged and the genre has expanded so much that you can't really just recycle what, you know, has always been true or what we think we've always known because it's, it's so much different now. The book genre, like the book world has changed. Uh, So what are some of the ways that our librarian listeners could utilize this book for their own collections? So if you are not um, a big romance reader, this book will help you communicate with romance fans because we do kind of have a language of our own. Um, We talk about things like tropes and we have different names for different things. Um, Cinnamon roll heroes, for instance, one of my favorites. Um, We just, we just talk about the books in a different way that than other genres, other genres have their own set of ways of communicating, communicating about books. So this way, this book will help you know about tropes and um, how to match readers to tropes and to understand that tropes can be deal breakers, which is good, whether it's a deal breaker, a thing that they love or a thing that they never want to read about, that's good to know. And people can express that through tropes. It'll define the subgenres so everybody is clear on what a historical romance is and what it is not, uh, what is a romance, which can be tricky to people outside the genre, and what it is not. Um, It also gives ideas on if you have local authors and you want to host author talks or programs, um, how you can cross formats. So it's not just books. There's also lots in TV that match. There's lots of TV based on romance novels. Um, There's lots of audiobooks now that before it was just the biggest names that were getting done in audio. And now it's 
literally everyone and anyone. So there's lots of different ways um, that you can use the book to kind of familiarize yourself with romance and how readers are talking about romance. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. I love that. And one of the things I'm curious to ask you about, I saw on um, the description for the book, and this is the thing I always find the hardest to do when talking about romance, is sort of telling readers what the spice level is or like the steaminess level, because that's so subjective. I have a very hard time trying to figure out how many like chili peppers it is or or how many, you know, flame emojis a book is. It's difficult because my level of um, sex, what I think is just super hot to someone else might be barely anything or vice versa. I might think, oh, you know, that's just it wasn't that hot and someone else's ears are burning. They're like, oh my God, I could barely, you know, I, I could barely stand it. It was way too much. So it is difficult, which is, we make it a little more difficult when we try to euphemize it. Um, like we just on social media, maybe even just last week, um, we were talking about a book that as a tagline or one of the authors that blurbed it said it was sweet. And for people outside of the romance genre, sweet is like, oh, that's that's so sweet. For people inside the romance genre, sweet is also a euphemism for no sex on the page. Mm-hmm. And so when people hear sweet, they think that book doesn't have any sex on the page. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for closed door romances, you might pick that up for... Or if you were um, not looking for closed door romances, you might let it slide because you're like, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, But that's not what that word means. And if you're using it, not knowing that that's what it's supposed to mean, you might pick up that sweet book and not expect open door sex Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the page. And so... We make it a little difficult for ourselves when we try to use words in place of other words. Clean is another one. For me, when someone says it's clean, that means there's no mistakes in it. It's a clean topic. Right. (laughs) Um, But other people use it to mean as opposed to dirty or filthy or sexy. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
it's it's best in my opinion just to say there are lots of sex scenes in this book or there is sex on the page on lots of pages or mm-hmm. this book you know doesn't have any sex scenes in it and let people go from there but i understand that it is difficult for people to talk about especially with someone you don't know like someone coming up to the desk mm-hmm. um which is why it's generally better to let them tell you. So if they tell you, I like Jill Shelvis, um, you know, I like Megan Frampton, then you're kind of getting the picture of um, there's sex on the page, but it's not an erotic romance, mm-hmm. but it's also not a closed door romance. So it's kind of middle of the road romance. I like and if that, someone though. comes up like I like Katie Robert, you're like, okay, you like more um erotic towards the erotic end of erotic romance. And so you can kind of gauge that way. Yes. I did this yesterday. I gave someone a bunch of books that they based off of romance. And then I was like, oh, but wait, I should have asked you more questions because I think this Katie Robert might be too much. <laughs> right. And and so then you you kind of can gauge that way, but also they may read that Katie Robert and say, this is what I've been looking for the whole time. I just didn't know it was out there. Exactly. But I do really appreciate that perspective about being a little bit less, you know, emoji centric or like trying to rate things on a steam or spice scale, because I do struggle with that as, you know, uh, the podcast host, I talk about these books a lot and it, you get a little too, you know, in your head about like, Oh, I don't, I don't know how many peppers this is. So I think just saying like, there is a lot of sex in this book is a lot more helpful to people that are trying to find the romance books they're thereafter. If we're just clear about it. Right. Because it's hard to know, like, if you say something is, you know, three out of five or four out of five, mm-hmm. I don't know what your five is. And yes. I don't know what your one is. So if your five is Katie Robert, then I understand, whoa, it's up there. If your five is Jill Shelvis, and I'm like, wow, okay, I never would have put that as a five on any scale, but on your scale, it is. Right. So we're we're not talking apples to apples at that point. Absolutely. So there are a lot of really practical, it feels like ways that librarians can utilize this book, get familiar with romance, especially because as you said, it does sort of have its own language. We use terms in in a way very specific to the romance genre. It feels like like. romance, for instance, like people, Mm -hmm. when they want a romance, it has to have a happy ending. Yes. And a lot of people are like, well, what about you know, I'm old. The Bridges of Madison County. Um, I don't <laughs> even still read that. Um, that's not a romance. It's a love story. And it's, you know, very lovely. But or uh, Brokeback Mountain. Definitely mm-hmm. a love story, not yeah. a romance. And if you go into it with those expectations, you will be heartbroken at the end. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And I think that it's so important to have that expectation when you're talking about the genre is like, it has to have these certain characteristics or we're not talking about romance. Right. People, you know, come to romance for a very specific experience. Um, And it can take many different forms. 
But at the end of the day, they want a story that's about the main character's relationship and it ends with the optimistic ending. Exactly. So I'm curious to know then if you have any tips to help librarians build a well-rounded romance collection, utilizing things obviously like your book, this reader's advisory guide, or any other things that you would suggest they do. Well, definitely use the book. ALA would be very angry if I did not say that right <laughs> off the bat. Absolutely. Definitely use the book. Um, Cause the other thing it does is give suggestions and it's not um, like a book list. You must have all these books, but it gives suggestions of authors and titles that fit different tropes um, and that fit in the different subgenres. So it's going to give you a head start if you really have no idea um, what, where I should start looking for historical romance, for example, it's going to give you a couple of the uh, mainstays of the genre and then a couple of newer authors you may or may not yet have in your collection. So definitely start there. But also, anytime that you are just looking for newer things or the hottest things right now, I tell people all the time, Google plus tropes is your friend. So you can Google marriage of convenience and get a list or actually in reality, multiple lists mm -hmm. of books that feature marriage of convenience. Some of them are going to be old standbys, old favorites. Some are going to be published last week. And that's not something that kind of timeliness is not something a book is going to give you. Um, as soon as this was published, I'm already I'm talking about books that are already out. You know, you're trying to get it as up to date as possible, but romance publishes really fast. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing if you're in collection development in this area, if there's not that year lead time, um, authors here are publishing multiple books a year. And so trying to keep up with that can be daunting, which is why it's great that the internet will help you <laughs> and the internet will help you. Yes, it really will. And I love what you said, though, about how the romance publishing schedule is a little bit different because it's so true where I think for readers, it's great. We get the opportunity yes. to have tons of books from our favorite authors in one year, maybe. But it, but keeping up with that, I am almost surprised at some of these authors at how quickly they are publishing these books. Katie Robert is a great example. <laughs> Yes. And she's a trad pub author. So that's even more surprising because they do tend to try to stick to, it's still not that yearly schedule. You're still doing, seeing multiple books a year. Um, but the indie authors are sometimes monthly. And the only thing I can think is they have multiple stories that have been sitting and now they're just on a schedule of getting them out. Um, a lot of times it's reprints of things that they did like in the early 2000s. And now they are, and they found a limited home then, but now here we are again, finding new audiences just because the genre has grown so much. Um, books that we may not have been ready for in 2000, we are super ready for in 2023. Um, 
And there's just lots of stories to be told. And there's a lot of authors that are telling them. Um, that's one of the beautiful things about Overdrive is that I get so many ways to increase my collection because they're they're in there. And I don't have to rely on print to get them into the collection. I don't think that you should rely strictly on digital. Um, there's an access issue there. But when you find something that catches fire, definitely go back and get the print. But you can see right away what things are going to be super popular. Um, we put new books in on Monday night, Tuesday, or actually Monday, like, oh, 9, 10 p.m., checked out, checked out, checked out, checked out, checked out. Um, Tuesday, all checked out. So it's really fast, It's which is great for me as a collection development person. Yeah. And so as somebody that has a really good pulse on romance as a genre for readers and for librarians, I wanted to ask you if there are any trends or tropes that you've been seeing a lot of in the romance genre lately. So trends, of course, romance, fantasy, I refuse to call it romance. <laughs> I was going to ask if you I like refuse. that term or not. <laughs> <laughs> but fantasy romance um, is super hot right now. Um, and again, this is cyclical. It was really hot in the late 80s, early 90s. I was a huge science fiction and fantasy fan back then and always gravitated to the books that had a central romance in it, um, sometimes even trying to make it a central romance when it wasn't. Um, so it was hot then, and then it's come around again, and it has just exploded, which is great for people like me um, who love both the genres. It's fantastic. Um, that is probably the biggest trend I'm seeing right now. Um, as far as tropes, I get kind of amused um, with the trope, there's only one bed, mm -hmm. <laughs> Most, because that wasn't a trope. It was just like a, a thing that happened in the book. And all of a sudden, people started loving it. Other authors started adding it, and it kind of got elevated to the level of trope. So now it's a thing people specifically look for. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not great. just a plot point. It's like right. a full thing. <laughs> now it's a full trope. There's marriage of convenience there's uh, enemies to lovers there's there's only one bed like what where did you come from but it's so funny and we do as romance readers we love to go with a trope like enemies yes. to lover enemies to lovers is a term that will immediately pique my interest right me too I think uh, also grumpy sunshine is one that kind of got elevated recently as well um it was kind of like why well, you gravitate to those characters because you like it. Um, and then enough people like it that they start asking for it and mm -hmm. they start trying to search by it. And I think that's how you get elevated to trope them. Um, people start um, calling it out. In yeah. books. And then publishers are like, oh, people like this. Okay. And then they start putting it in cover copy. And then mm -hmm. it just kind of expands from there. 
Yeah. I think that's such a good point though, where it's like you start elevating these key characteristics just because enough people are talking about them. And I also think like the phrase morally gray in the romance context, I feel like I've been seeing that a lot where that's sort of the, the catch all phrase for the, you know, love interests or whatever is that they're morally gray (laughs) about dark romance yeah um, and (laughs) how that comes into play and you know how people are like yeah I really don't like what you're doing oh but I, I just I can't I can't stay away yes yeah and it's so funny like what you like in books but you would absolutely not tolerate in real life. There's sort of that cognitive There's dissonance. No way. There's no way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But on the page, downright abusive. Yeah. In some cases, mm-hmm. and so in some cases, it goes quite far where you you do maybe raise an eyebrow. But um, it is interesting to see what you sort of prefer in your fictional versus obviously not in real life. And and these are all things that have been. Again, it's all cyclical. So the Godfather, like we, and the whole mafia thing, which is kind of veering into dark romance, um, not something that you would glorify in real life at Mm -hmm. all, but glorified in print and on screen in multiple different ways for multiple years. Right. And how we, again, like, what we like in fiction, but not in real life. And mm-hmm. so it's not, it's not something that, that's unique to romance. Mm-hmm. It's something that has happened across the board. Um, it's now having its turn in romance. Absolutely. Now I'm curious to know for you, if there are any romance authors that you've really been enjoying lately ones that are like always auto read or auto buy or or ones that you always are sort of looking for their next book (laughs) yes I'm like taking notes listeners take note (laughs) um probably the authors that I tell people the most about um are Tasha Harrison who writes contemporary romances um really across many different lines. Um, I love her books. And every time someone is looking for a contemporary romance that is on the more erotic end, I send them her way. Her characters are spectacular. Um, You really, she really kind of gets under your skin with her books and I I just, I can't say enough things about her. Um, The other person that I discovered recently is D.L. White. Um, And I discovered her, well, we are um, Twitter mutuals. So that is actually how I discovered her. But I discovered her books. You can know someone for a while and not read their books. And then you read their books and you're like, oh my God, why didn't I read them sooner? Um, because she write, she wrote a enemies to lovers or what she calls a lovers to enemies to lovers, um, which kind of got my ears perked up because I am all for the angst and which is why I like enemies to lovers in the first place. But if they were lovers first and then turned into enemies, 
I am right there. <laughs> you have got my full interest. And so she wrote a book called A Thin Line, which is exactly that. And I was, I was, I was hooked from there. Um, a couple of other authors that are autobies for me are um, Naima Simone, Tracy Livesey, Eva Lee. I love all three of those ladies so very much. And last year, I kind of went on a hockey romance bender. And so I read a ton, a ton of hockey romances. I felt like I was hungover when I was done, but I still, so I follow many of those authors as well. And every time they have a new thing out, I am right there. So there's so many. Did you I, read Icebreaker? Yes. Do you have any hot takes on Icebreaker? <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I have some hot takes on Icebreaker. <laughs> I don't have any hot takes, but I would like to hear yours. Uh, it was, I think it was good. It kept my interest, but it was a little bit long. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little long. But it kept my interest. It kept See, my so interest. I'm like. Yeah. It yeah, was. No. A friend of mine um, who has recently started ro reading romance sent this to me the other day, not about icebreaker because she would never read a hockey romance. <laughs> I should try to get her to, but I know she won't. Mm -hmm. um, this book, I, I just want them to fall in love already. And I'm like, well, that's maybe a sign that you need to read something else, like not mm -hmm. like you you're over romance right now. And she's like, no, it's just, this book is so long. So I wonder I, I, I've been thinking about this since we had this conversation, because the other thing about romance is the books have gotten shorter over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then some someone comes along and tries to push that limit and we we push back like mm -hmm. our attention spans have gotten shorter. Yeah, that is such a good point, though. I find myself flagging a little bit with certain books if I if I don't have enough of that action. I don't know what the arbitrary cutoff is, but I was talking I about either. this on I another book. Either. Like I was 300 pages in it to it. It's a fantasy. And I was like, we need I see the pieces coming together, but I need it sooner. <laughs> but I think that's a great point right. about attention span. And that's probably why. It's gotten shorter. And so at the beginning, I, I I don't know when the beginning was, but when I first started noticing books were shorter, I thought, why are books so short? Why, why is this? What's wrong with this story that it's not, it should be longer. Like why? It's not a full book, <laughs> but it was a full book. Yeah. Um, and now I'm more on that end too. Like I, I've been assimilated. <laughs> into yeah. short book theory. So I don't know. I think that's such a good point though, is like, I don't normally pay attention to page count. Like yeah, I'll just right. read whatever I want to read, but I do think like depend, right. Depending on my mood, I should probably pay better attention to the page count because sometimes I don't have the stamina for something that's 600 pages and you're like, Oh, right. this is long. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
It's so and, true. And it's, it's really <laughs> interesting how that has happened. And we almost didn't notice, like it just gradually happened. And all of a sudden now we're on the other end. Like, why is that book so long? It didn't mm-hmm. need to be that long. I feel like I have to like build back up my like attention span stamina. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. I I literally have been thinking about this since we had this conversation. Yes. Yeah, it's really I used true. To read fantasy books like 700 pages. That was nothing. Yeah. How did I get to this other end? I know. I know. And you're right, you need to have you certainly need to have both, but getting I think getting that sort of stamina back or that that flexibility back where you can kind of go, this is a shorter read. This is, we're diving into something deeper. Um, I am reading two books that are almost 600 pages each. And that probably wasn't a good idea to read them in tandem. (laughs) Those are, that's a bit long on sort of both sides, but I'm interested to know as well, are there any books that you are really excited to read for the end of 2023 or even like sneak peek into 2024? Um, Honestly, I have not looked that far ahead. Um, I am moderating a panel for the Las Vegas Book Fest next month. And so I've mostly just been reading the authors on the panel. And so I have not really looked that far ahead to see who has what coming out, which is odd for a collection development, (laughs) but is also true. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, um, this isn't romance, but Rachel Housel Hall has a fantasy book coming out from the, from Entangled, um, and I'm super stoked. I am stalking all the arc sites to see when I might be able to get my hands on that because I'm I am a huge, huge, huge fangirl of her anyway, of her thrillers and mysteries. So mm-hmm. to hear she's writing a fantasy was like, what? What? That's you're speaking directly to me and I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I hadn't heard of this yet and I just looked it up. Right? Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm super excited about that. But that's really as far as I've gone in the 2024. And I think that that's fair because we do in the library book world can get, we can get so far ahead. It's almost annoying yes. because it's like, yes. well, no one else can read it right now. So we're talking about I it. I can't six talk months about it advance. with anyone. Yes. Right. So I'll also, Always the authors, you know, that I'm, whatever they put out, I'm ready for it. So whatever they're putting out next year, I'm ready for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, I don't have specifics yet. Mm-hmm. So so stay tuned. <laughs> like, I'm interested to hear uh, what those might be. Um, so speaking of which, as we sort of wrap up, I'm interested to know if there's anything that we want to share or promote, you'll be at the Las Vegas event next month. Library folks can see you sort of out and about on some panels and things upcoming. If you are in New England, um, Becky Spratford and I will be at the New England Library Association Conference also in October, um, the week before the Las Vegas Book Fest. Um, We will be there. We'll be doing a version of our anti-racist service to leisure readers. 
Um, I will also be doing a talk on romance. Um, and Becky will be doing a talk on horror. So we will be there mid-October, and then I will be at the Las Vegas Book Fest uh, the week after. That's amazing. And I actually did just see um, Rebecca Yaros announced she'll be at Las Vegas Book Fest. Oh, nice. So uh, that's really cool and fortuitous that I was like, ooh, yeah. Robin will be there. Rebecca Yaros will be there. I won't be there, but I hope other people have a great Come time. <laughs> Come on out. Oh, that would be the dream. Maybe next year we'll plan it ahead. Some of uh, the things that I'm reading for right now, I'm reading uh, Ava Maria and the Fox by Liana Della Rosa, um, who is going to be on my panel. Um, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Also, Samantha Chase, uh, Rosie Danan, who I had never read before. Mm-hmm. So, and there's Dylan Allen, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to get in trouble for forgetting uh, one of my panelists, but also, and I've been reading their books, they're all fantastic. So I'm super excited about that. Is it Do Your Worst by Rosie? Is it that one from Rosie? Do Your no, Worst? No, it was or is a different one. Inheritance something? I cannot. I'm putting I you on the it. spot. No. That is okay. I live to be on the spot. <laughs> I cannot remember what the name of her book was, but it was it was interesting because it was about a rabbi and a ex sex worker. Well, I guess she was still a sex worker, but she had moved from performing the intimacy experiment. That's what it is. She had moved from performing to um, doing a website or an app. Um, and they were putting together a series of conversations about intimacy um, for his congregation. It was fantastic. Okay. That one has been on my list for a long time and she has a new one coming out in November. That's like Scottish castle family curse romancy. So a little bit different. Completely different. I'm here for that too. (laughs) So that I'm also looking forward to. (laughs) Wow. I did not know that. That's fantastic. Yeah. I was immediately intrigued by Scottish castles. That is one of my other keywords. So. So moving a little more, I mean, we're all moving towards fantasy land. Like mm-hmm. we're all, yeah, <laughs> which is great for as a, as a fantasy reader. I absolutely love it. We really are. I am also thinking about like Bride by Ali Hazelwood, which felt like a big departure in my I opinion, have not but- read that. I just bought it or at least put it in a cart yesterday for the library. I am all over that. It's I just saw it's on Edelweiss finally. So immediate I just downloaded it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've been that waiting. Looks fantastic. It looks and really yeah, good. a huge departure. I in fact when I saw it, I was like, I had to double check the name because I'm like, this is not what I was expecting. I did too. And I was like, wait, am I look like, am I getting my authors confused or something? Are we, but no, yeah. Like vampires and werewolves. And from werewolf, yeah. Oh, so. that's so exciting that it's on Good. Like just, I think yesterday, maybe been anxiously refreshing <laughs> to see when it would show up. 
Oh. Yeah, that looks that looks amazing. And I am a huge um, shifter fan. So if you say werewolves, I'm my ears immediately perk up. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone that does that you would recommend like top of the top tier shifter romance? I'm also putting you on the spot for recommendations. <laughs> my goodness. I know. Um, let me check my Goodreads real fast. Yeah. I don't know that there's anyone that I would put top tier because I read anyone. Mm -hmm. If you have bears and werewolves, (laughs) I am immediately interested. And I just, just this week, I bought something with bears um, for the digital collection. Um, And there were so many authors that I don't necessarily keep track of them because I read them all. Um, I would, you have to go with probably the goat, uh, Nalini Singh. Yes. Okay. I'm like, yep. These things that have been on my TBR for a while, I'm like, all right, we're pushing them back up to the top. She was on my TBR for a long, long time, just because it was kind of daunting because there's so many series and there's so long series. Mm -hmm. Um, but honestly, I started at the first book and it was amazing so you can't really go wrong there. And they're so good. I That's such a good endorsement. I will take that. Well, thank you so much, Robin, for this fantastic conversation. Hopefully everyone walks away with some tips on library collection development for romance, but then also for our voracious romance readers, you have some new recommendations of authors and books. Robin, is there anywhere else that folks can find you on the internet, on Instagram or Twitter? So I was a Twitter fanatic and I am there often. I am at Tuflos, T-U-P-H-L-O-S. Um, I have moved most of my Twitter ness over to Blue Sky, however. Okay. Um, same handle. So you can find me there. I talk about book covers when I'm ordering. Um, so that's a lot of fun. We dissect book covers, what works for us, what don't, what doesn't work for us. Um and general library discussion rant. Yeah. <laughs> um, however you want to decipher that. Um, we talk about library issues, um, book issues. It's just a lot of book nerd talk. So if that's kind of your thing, find us over there. So I'm there. Uh, Becky Spradford is there. Just a lot of authors and librarians and authors. And we just we, we just love talking about books. Readers, too. So. Perfect. And so hopefully for our listeners of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, they are all about that book nerdness. So definitely go and check that out. Thank you so much, Robin. This was fantastic. I'm so happy we got to chat about romance. It was great. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.